today we're going to talk about the attributes of God, right? An attribute is a characteristic of something or a quality possessed by something. There are certain things that the Bible tells us about who God is or what is he like. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for January 21st, 2018. Today, Brother Omar brings us part two of his message called Statement of Faith doctrine of God. Well, natural means that these are attributes that God has just because He's God. They're, they're part of His being. There is no choice involved in them. He is just omnipotent. God didn't wake up one day and say, you know, from now on, I'm just going to know everything. You know, just, I feel like knowing everything or I'm just going to be everywhere. No, he just, that's, He's eternal. He's always, you know, He didn't wake up and said, I'm going to live forever now. I'm getting old. I want to live more. No, that's who he is. These are natural attributes. But God doesn't have to be merciful. God could be, he could be just. Brother Omar breaks down who the one true God is and what his attributes are. He teaches us the difference between God's moral attributes and his natural attributes. He says that since we as believers are indwelled by God, we have access to the power of God wherever we are. Now he'll be reading from the book of Hebrews, So grab your Bibles and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. We're going to continue with the doctrine of God. Last time we talked about Trinity, or we emphasized that God is one in three persons. Detractors of the doctrine of the Trinity, the people who don't believe the doctrine of the Trinity, which would be like Muslims, Jews, and certain other so-called Christian cults. They almost always point out that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. Right? If you read through the Bible, you won't find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. Of course, that is true. Those of us who believe in the Trinity have read the Bible before. Surprise, surprise. And we know that there is no such thing as a word Trinity in the Bible. The word Trinity was a word that was coined by the early church to give a name to something that they saw in the Scriptures. That's all it was. They, they saw this thing in the scriptures and they wanted to give it a name. So the word Trinity was coined. Some people call it a triunity or, or the triune God or whatever. But basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to, to, to figure out how do we call this thing. Because the early church, another thing that you would hear is like this doctrine is not in the Bible. And the early church fathers invented it. They, they made up this teaching by bringing in Greek philosophies and Greek pagan ideas to Christianity. And the thing about the early church is that they had to find language to express something that they received and that was taught in the Bible. They had to find ways to explain it. I mean, that's the way it is. You have these concepts that the Bible teaches, and you have to find a way of of expressing them to be able to explain it and teach it to people. So in doing that, they used different terms Trinity being one of them. Another thing that they, the, the way that they expressed this idea of the Trinity is that they called it hypostasis. Okay, fancy word number one, hypostasis. Instead of using the word persons, they used the word hypostasis to describe each person of the Trinity. This word simply means like a communication. So each person is a communication of, fancy word number two, ushia which means like an essence. So each hypostasis is a communication of this thing. Now, why did they use this word as opposed to like persons? It's because there's nothing wrong with the word person, but when we think of persons as human beings, 
we think of individual beings. In our minds, like I'm a person, and then Melissa's a person, but we're two different human beings. That's not what we believe. We don't believe that each person is an individual being from the other, okay? They're not three separate beings. That's not what we believe. We believe that these three persons are one being. And in our human mind, that's where the problem begins. When we think of a person, we're thinking immediately, that's a separate being from me. I'm a person, you're a person, you're a separate being, you're independent from me. These three are not independent beings from each other. These three are one being. So that's the difficulty with the teaching. So when you read people who are detractors of the doctrine of the Trinity, they're always pointing out, you guys believe that there's three gods and one God. That doesn't make any sense. They're right, because we don't believe that there's three gods and one God. We believe there's three persons and one God. There's only one God and three persons. That's where the difficulty with this doctrine begins. So the early church used language like this to try to explain something that the Bible teaches. So they weren't inventing a doctrine. They were simply trying to communicate a complicated truth because it's very complicated. But the Bible clearly teaches that. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but it's clearly taught. The concept and the idea of the Trinity is clearly taught in the Bible. It was taught by the apostles. And the apostles gave it to the early church, and the early church interpreted it for us. In fact, I was talking with Pastor Bolin yesterday, and he says that when it comes to this, I mean, you can't get better than the early church when it came to defending this truth. When it came to defending the Trinity, the early church planted that flag and paid for it with their lives even. So that was what we covered last week. So today, we're going to be in John chapter 17, verse 1, and we're going to talk a little bit about why it's important that we believe this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now here Jesus, he's praying. He's praying to the Father. God the Son is praying to the Father. He asked the Father that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. Jesus tells us what eternal life is. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life, according to the way Jesus defines it, is not just to live eternally. A lot of people think when they talk about eternal life, that's the only thing they think about. Eternal life, we live forever. That's true. Eternal life is eternal life, okay? Baptists are always reminding me that eternal life is eternal, right? Eternal life is eternal, Omar. Well, <laughs> eternal life is eternal. It, it, it's eternal, but it's a particular kind of life, or it entails having a proper understanding of God. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, this could be interpreted as having an intimate relationship with God. But the way that a lot of people talk about having an intimate relationship with God is almost like a feeling, right? Having a have an intimate relationship with God or, or feeling his presence, okay? You cannot have a proper relationship with God without some truth, without some cold, hard theology. Amen. Because Mormons will tell you that they have an intimate relationship with God. Mormons will tell you that they feel his presence. Right? Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that they were in the presence of God last wherever they meet. None of these groups hold to the true 
or understand the one true God because they deny fundamental doctrines of who God is. So for us to have an intimate relationship with God, it's not just having a feeling or an experience when you go to church or when you're at home praying. Having an intimate relationship with God involves a proper understanding of what the Bible teaches about God. Because if not, you're not worshiping the one true God. Now, Jesus says that eternal life is to know the one true God. So Mormons can tell you that they have an intimate relationship with God, but they don't have eternal life. Because eternal life involves having a proper understanding of God. The same thing about any other group that denies fundamental doctrines of the Bible. So when we speak about the one true God, so the question we ask ourselves, what does the Bible tell us about him? What is he like? What is God like? Like, So today we're going to talk about the attributes of God, right? An attribute is a characteristic of something or a quality possessed by something. There are certain things that the Bible tells us about who God is or what is he like. For example, is God ever going to die one day? Was God ever born, right? No. 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 That means that God is what? God is eternal. Thank you. Thank you, Chaz. What else about God? What, what else do you, what other things... What characteristics does God have that only God has? It's transcendent. Good. Okay, anybody else? Omniscient means he knows everything. Omnipotent means he can do whatever he wants to do. Nobody can stop him from doing whatever he wants to do, right? Any other omni there? Omnipresent. He could be here. He could be in China. He could be in whatever galaxy there is. So God is eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's transcendent. Any other things about God? I don't know. He's, he's love. He's love. Thank you, sir. He is, is I mean, is, is he punishing anybody here for their sins? Merciful. God has mercy. Merciful. He is holy, right? Now, there's two kinds of attributes, right? You notice I put this here and put this here. These attributes of God are called moral attributes. These are natural attributes. Now, the word natural, try not to think of it as like, like nature or stuff like that. What natural means is that these are attributes that God has just because he's God. They're, they're part of his being. It, there is no choice involved in them. He is just omnipotent. God didn't wake up one day and say, you know, from now on, I'm just going to know everything. You know, I'm just, I feel like knowing everything or I'm just going to be everywhere. No, he just, that's, He's eternal. He's always, you know, he didn't wake up and said, I'm going to live forever now. I'm getting old. I want to live more. No, that's who he is. These are natural attributes. But God doesn't have to be merciful. God could be, he could be just and just issue punishment, right? These are moral attributes. These have to do with choice. These have to do with character. Does God have to be love? That's a tricky one. Right. See, what happens is that a lot of times people confuse and they conflate these two and you end up with very interesting ideas because God is not holy the way that he is eternal. These attributes, we don't praise God because he's omniscient. You don't say thank you, God, because you know everything. No, that's I mean, thank you, uh, Jaden. You have dark hair. No, that's he just has dark hair. We praise God because he's what? Mercy. Why? Because he could have punished, but he didn't punish. He offered mercy. 
We praise him because of that. These things are moral attributes. They involve choice. These things are natural. It's cause and effect. It's just what it is, right? So can God be unloving? It's a tricky one, right? So how can God, who is love, who cannot be but love, how can this not be a natural attribute? Because as I explained last time, God is a trinity, right? The Father loves the Son, the Son, Spirit, etc. So you have this, this trinity. God, omniscience, in his infinite mind, has always known that there is a pattern of willing that is proper. The Father is not going to hurt the Son. This is possible. Each one of these persons do what's in the best interest of each other. They're communicating love towards each other, constantly promoting their own well-being, constantly to each other for their own well-being. That's love. That's what love is. Now, it's not natural in the sense that it's something that they just have. It's something that they're in their infinite minds do. They choose for their own well-being. So God is love. It's moral. But he cannot be unloving because to do that, it would be to be unloving towards himself. He's constantly promoting what's best. That's when we, we, God does things for his glory. He's not being selfish because he's the most valuable being in the whole universe. For him to promote his own well-being and his own glory is for him to lift up the whole universe with him. So the best thing that we can do is promote his glory because his glory is what makes the universe good. It's what makes his kingdom good. It's what makes everything good because he's God. He's the most valuable being. There's nothing above him that is better. It's him. It's God. When God does things for his glory, it's not being selfish. It's actually being loving for our own benefit that God glorify himself. It's for our own benefit that we glorify him constantly because we're promoting his well-being, quote unquote. And in doing so, the whole universe, when God is glorified in every nation, each nation gets blessed. When God is glorifying your life, your life gets blessed. When God is glorifying your job, your job gets blessed. When everything, everywhere where God is being glorified, things are being lifted up because He's goodness. He's the most valuable thing in the universe. So, moral attributes, national attributes. These attributes only God has. I mean, we're commanded by God Himself to be holy, merciful, loving, just. We can never be as holy just and loving as God is, but we're commanded to do so. We're never commanded to be eternal. We're never commanded to be transcendent. We're never commanded to be everywhere at the same time. These are attributes that only God and God alone has, because he's God. No other being, this is important, no other being that has been created can have these attributes. This is, this is going to be important later on, because there are certain people who teach certain things about Jesus. They are not right. No other being can have any of these attributes except for God. So the next question is, do any of these persons that the Bible talks about have these attributes, right? Does the Bible teach us? Is the Holy Spirit transcendent? Is he omnipresent? Is the Son transcendent, etc.? So let's go to the scriptures to see. First of all, let's do with eternality, right? God is eternal, right? He cannot die. He wasn't born. He cannot die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says this, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The eternal spirit. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit eternal, meaning he has a quality that only God has. Only God could have. Hebrews 13, 8 is a very straightforward one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today 
and forever. You grew up in a Pentecostal church, that's your verse right there. Jesus Christ is the same. I love it how that's, that he didn't even, he just said it. Yeah, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Son is eternal, another quality of God. No being could have these qualities. Emphasize that. Jesus Christ is eternal. He cannot be a created being. He is God. Okay. Psalms 90 verse 2 says this. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 90, the Father, God, El, as the Jews called him, was there before the mountains were brought forth, from everlasting to everlasting. That means eternal. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are eternal. The Bible teaches that. Each one of them is eternal, so each one of them has a quality of God. Who created us? Did any being create us? God created us. God created everything, right? He made us. Job 33 verse 4 says this, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Spirit of God has made me. Who made us? God, the Holy Spirit, made us. John chapter 1, you guys remember this one? John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word, which is Jesus, made all things, and nothing was made but that He made. So He made us. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8 says this, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay, you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. God the Father made us. We are the work of his hands. So attributes of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all share those attributes. That means that none of these could be a created being. They're all God. Now, let's do one more. Everywhere. God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. Psalms 139, verse 7 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in shield, you are there. The Holy Spirit is everywhere, even in heaven, even in shield, which is the, the Jewish term for hell, I guess. Even He is there. Matthew 28 Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' promise to his disciples is that he's going to be with them always. Now, some people say, well, he was just speaking to his disciples. Well, of course, he's not speaking to me. He's speaking to his disciples. But the promise that he's given them, that he's going to be with them always, even unto the end of the age. Now think about that. We're here in 2018 in the United States speaking English. And we believe that God is here with us. But we have brothers in Guatemala right now. They're doing the same thing we're doing and God is over there with them. In fact, God is with them even when, when they're by themselves. Here, China, throughout history, only God can do that. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. I am going to be with you always, even until the end. Even when the end comes, I'm going to be there. Even until the end of the age. That is a characteristic that only God can have. Not a created being, only God can have. 
First Kings chapter 8 says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. I find it funny because this is Solomon, First Kings chapter 8, verse 27. He had just finished building the temple, build the temple in, in Israel. And God, God says, I didn't pick a place or a tribe or a temple to be built. Right. That was David's desire. He wanted to build a temple for God. God didn't say, build me a temple. God says, build me a tabernacle because the tabernacle is mobile. You can pitch it up. You can take it with you because it was supposed to be an illustration of God's relationship with his people. It's a mobile relationship. God is not in church in that building. God tabernacles with men. He tabernacles with people. And after Solomon built this temple, you have to understand this thing was beautiful. It had gold pillars and and then rubies and whatever, the most expensive stuff. And then Solomon says, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. I mean, I built this house for you, but this can't contain you. The whole heavens cannot contain you. You're God. You're everywhere. So this is speaking of God the Father. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have characteristics that only God has. So obviously, these three persons are, as the Greeks used to say, a communication of God, the same essence. One of the reasons that they used the word communication or hypostasis was because we as human beings, when we're studying these, we're looking at each person individually, right? I look at, you know, we talk about the Father, we talk about the Son, we talk about the Holy Spirit individually as, as if you can have individual, like... They're not individual in the sense that when one is there, the other two are not. See what I'm saying? Because there's one God. Wherever the Father is, the Son and the Spirit are there also. They're not divided. Now, we human beings, you know, we see things through this perspective, one at a time. And when we read the scriptures, we read them from that perspective also, you know, one at a time. But always keep in your mind that there is not a division, there's not a separation. They're not different beings. They're only one being. So wherever there is one, the other two are there. Now, I want to show you this from the scriptures. John chapter 15, he's saying, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Okay, so the helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to be with us forever. He's eternal. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I also want you to notice, quick pause here, that Jesus addresses the Holy Spirit as a person. He says, him. You will know him. He. Okay? That's going to be important in future sermons. So he says, the promise to the believers, he's saying that you will receive... The Father is going to send you another helper, and then this helper is going to be in you, right? Keep on reading. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Where has my commandments and keeps them? He is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home 
with him. Notice what's happening. The Father is going to send you the helper. He's going to be in you. But if you love me and obey my word, me and my Father will also come and be home in you. So the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Every believer has the indwelling of this inside. Every true believer has the indwelling of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit inside with all of this power. See, that, that's why we have this tendency when bad things happen, we're like, where's God or God help? And it's like, no, he's, he's right here. He's right here. He's not out there. He's right here. Got the Father, got the Son, and got the Holy Spirit. They're right here. Now think of it. Think about the forces of darkness that comes up against you. Okay? You have the, the forces of darkness come up against you. The whole system of the world can come up against you. But you have the omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, transcendent, omnipresent God living inside of you. That's why the Apostle Paul can say with so much confidence, you know, I bow the knee to the Father. I don't bow my knee to anybody else. Why? Because I don't have to. I bow my knee to the Father. I don't bow to anybody else. Now, Paul stood up in front of uh, the emperors of Rome, the governors of Rome, the most powerful empire the world had ever seen in his time. And he stood up in front of them with no fear. Why? Why? Leonard, uh, one of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, he's been dead for a long time. He used to say, I have uh, got the Father, I have the Son, and the whole angels of heaven with me. What am I supposed to do, sit down and cry? I got God the Father in me. I got the host of heavens in my side. And what am I supposed to do here? What do you want me to do, cry? No, thank you. <laughs> I have got the Father, and wherever God the Father goes, the Son goes. Wherever the Son goes, the Holy Spirit goes. We have, we Christians are indwelt with the triune God. That's why this is important that you believe this. That Jesus is not a created being like we are or some angel is. That he's not the brother of, uh, what is it the Mormons believe, uh, Michael the angel or something like that? Oh, the brother of Satan. That's even, that's even nicer. He is God himself. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, living inside of you if you're a Christian. So we have the triune God living. We are indwelled by the Holy Trinity. So you are not alone. The Godhead, the whole Godhead is with you. This is what we're told as a church when we go out into the world. Now think of this. Jesus tells his, his disciples in Matthew 28, All power has been given to me on earth and heaven, etc., Go and make disciples of other nations and teach them all that I have taught you, right? What we're doing is, first of all, Jesus is commanding us and he's telling us, I have all authority here. So you can go into a nation that is foreign and people can be like, what are you doing here? Oh, well, the guy who has authority over this whole place sent me here, so that's why I'm here. On top of that, you're indwelled with the Holy Trinity. You indwell with all of this power. And every person that gets saved gets indwelled by God the same way. See what I'm saying? 
So you have, let's say, one person goes to some crazy town in the middle of nowhere. He's the only Christian indwelled with God. And he goes and he makes another Christian get saved. And that person becomes a Christian and gets indwelled by God. Now you have two indwellings of God in that place. There's a story of William Booth. William Booth founded a Salvation Army back in the day. And it's probably one of the greatest revivals you ever read. And there's a story that he heard some news that there was this place in the farthest most part of the British Empire called New Zealand. And he heard that there was stuff happening down there and all that. So William Booth grabbed two of his generals, because that's the Salvation Army, they got like army terms. He grabbed two of his generals and he told them, men, he used to talk like that, go down to New Zealand and conquer New Zealand. So he bought him a one-way trip ticket. Just go to New Zealand, conquer New Zealand. That's it. That's all the instructions I'm going to give you. Go over there and send me some telegram or whatever when you're done. These two men go down to New Zealand. One, you know, they arrive there. They look at each other. Oh, I'm going to take the north part of this island. You take the south part of this island. We'll meet back in a year. And a year later, they came back. Each one had about 1,000 or 1,500 salvationists with them. And a revival happened in New Zealand. But see the attitude of William Booth? Go to New Zealand. And he said, you know, go to New Zealand. I want you to see if, um, kind of look at the demographics. Let's figure out a plan. No, go to New Zealand and conquer New Zealand. And send me some news when you're done. Leave, you know. And he bought him a one-way ticket. Those two men had a revival in New Zealand. They changed the country forever to this day. Because why? why? Why wouldn't they? They're indwelled with this. Why, why wouldn't, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Why wouldn't they? They're indwelled with that power. They're indwelled with God, with the holy triune God indwells every single one of us. So we can conquer New Zealand. We can conquer, you know, whatever situation that, that we have can be conquered because we are indwelled by the triune God because where one go, they all go. And it's everywhere with omnipotent power and omnipresence. No matter where you go or where you're at, he's there. And that power is there. And he will be there because he's eternal. We will be with him and he'll be with us for all eternity on forever. So the, the doctrine of the Trinity is not just some lofty thing over here with hypostasis and all this lofty terms is something that bears in our everyday lives. What we believe has bearing in our lives. The Father loved us, sent His Son, the second person, who then sends the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is a helper. Now each one of these, I'll, I'll get on to that next, next sermon. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, etc. They're have different roles, I guess. I guess you can use that word. So they have different ways that they communicate the Trinity. The Holy Spirit did not die for our sins. Jesus, the Son of God, did. Okay? So the, the, there is different, um, I don't want to use the word hierarchy. Is that a good? That's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, so the uh, hierarchy of the Trinity is that, you know, there's, there's a, the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, don't put too much on that, okay? Um, it's very difficult. 
Subservient. Okay, subservient. The son is subservient to the father. You know, he obeys his father's will, etc. Okay. Um, the Holy Spirit is sent by the Son, etc. So they, they have different um, they have different roles. We'll get because the next sermon is going to be on the deity of Christ. So we'll get a little bit more into that. So there's different roles that they play, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. He illuminates our minds. He opens our eyes, etc. Uh, Jesus died for our sins. The Father protects us. But don't think of him as if when the Father is protecting us, that the Son is not part of, you know what I'm saying? Don't think of it that way. That's the difficulty. The three are involved in every aspect of our lives. They were involved in every aspect of our salvation. They're involved in our sanctification. And our struggles with sin, they're, they're indwelling us. And they're involved in our sanctifying. They're involved in our church doing and our meetings and our and our and our and our services, etc., and our worship, they're all involved in that. Because it has a practical bearing in our lives, the doctrine of the Trinity, which is why it's important. And which is why Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, which is that, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Now, next sermon, we're gonna talk about. The deity of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a whole sermon just about Jesus because he's Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and, um, and because when it comes to attacking the doctrine of God, Jesus is always the very first thing that is attacked. So we're going to talk about, about that. Amen. So that's my sermon for today. I hope that you always remember that, that you're indwelled by a triune God Amen. and all of his power is available to you. You know, John Wesley used to say, when he used to go to these places in England in his horse, you know, a lot of these places were just bad. And, you know, England was very bad, violent, basically a collapsed society. And uh, in fact, every historian will tell you the reason that England became an empire is just John Wesley and his preaching and the Methodists. And he used to say, the reason why I can go to these places and be confident is because I know that God has already been there. He's just calling me to go there. And, if, and I have God within me, so I can go in any of these places and be confident that whatever God is intending to do is going to be done, and that that's going to be carried out. So I hope that you remember that, the importance of, of this doctrine, which is, you know, that's scratching the surface. We can be here for 15 Sundays and just get to, like, water to our toes, I guess. But it's important that you realize that, that we are indwelt by God the true believers, and that the power that is available to us and the lack, the hole that there is for those who do not have salvation because they don't have any of these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your teachings. We thank you for your doctrine, Lord. We thank you for being who you are, Lord. We thank you for having mercy for us, Lord, and, and not only forgiving our sins, but also, Lord, doing this amazing work of coming to live within us, Lord. Um, even though we were sinful, Lord, even though we were uh, undeserving, Lord, of your mercy and grace, you did it anyways, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for 
the work of salvation and sanctification in our lives, Lord. We thank you for being here today with us, Lord, as you are in all over, Lord, the world right now where people are meeting your, and gathering your name. You're there with them, Lord, as you are here with us. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for those who came before us and defended your word, Lord. And we pray that you may also give us the grace to do the same in our day, Lord, and carry over to future generations, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.